people, do feel free to pick up those conversations again after the service. And now I'd like to invite up our reader, Seening, to read our passage for us. And directly after that, Michael will come and preach. Good morning, everyone. Um, today we're reading from Matthew 8, verses 5 to 22. When Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him, asking for help. Lord, he said, my servant lies at home paralyzed, suffering terribly. Jesus said to him, shall I come and heal him? The centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority, with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes, and that one, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed and said to those following him, Truly I tell you, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. I say to you that many will come from the east and the west and will take their places at the feast with Abraham, Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the subjects of the kingdom will be thrown outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then Jesus said to the centurion, Go, let it be done just as you believed it would. And his servant was healed at that moment. When Jesus came into Peter's house, he saw Peter's mother-in-law lying in bed with a fever. He touched her hand and the fever left her, and she got up and began to wait on him. When evening came, many who were demon-possessed were brought to him, and he drove out the spirits with a word and healed all the sick. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. He took up our infirmities and bore our diseases. When Jesus saw the crowd around him, he gave orders to cross to the other side of the lake. Then a teacher of the law came to him and said, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, Foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Another disciple said to him, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. But Jesus told him, Follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. Good morning. Let's pray as we begin. Heavenly Father, may you be glorified in our service and in our hearts this morning. May your kingdom be established here in the midst of your people, and may it continue to expand in our city and in the world. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, as we open your word this morning, we ask that you would soften our hearts to hear and understand that we may celebrate the power and authority of Christ, that we may know the intimacy of his healing, and that we may trust and follow him. And I pray that you would help me to be faithful to your word as I speak. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, some of you may know that I grew up as a missionary kid in Ethiopia, East Africa. Um, While I was there, there was one missionary uh, who was an exceptionally skilled craftsman, and his name was Eric O'Dell. He could have had a very well-paying career in the United States, um, but he felt that the Lord wanted him to be a missionary, so he was in Ethiopia. Because he was very good with tools and with his hands, he kind of became the resident handyman for a lot of the missionaries uh, that were there, and he became known as the fix-it guy. It wasn't very glorious, but he was serving others, and Eric was happy to do this. But what people didn't realize that his skill in crafting and making woodwork was far greater than his per 
persona as, his, as a handyman. So one day Eric was making a piece of furniture in his workshop when an older missionary who wasn't particularly handy came in and he said, Wow, I don't think I could do much better myself. But in fact, he was an amateur speaking to a professional. Often we tend to see people based only on our own experience and what we see of them, and many people did this to Jesus as well. And in our passage today, we'll see from Matthew that Jesus is not just a teacher, but he's a king with real authority over nature. He's not just a doctor, but he's a healer of our souls through his own sacrifice for us. And he's not one to follow casually, he's one that requires full commitment. So let's start off today. So first, Matthew shows us that Jesus is a king of authority. Let's look at the first section together. Jesus is traveling in Galilee, in the town of Capernaum, when he's approached by a Roman officer. And this was unusual because the Romans were not the people of God. They were, in fact, foreign occupiers, and in many ways oppressing the people of God. Many of the Jewish people, especially the Zealots, they believed that the Messiah's mission would be to come and remove the Romans from power and restore the Jewish kingdom physically. Though as we know, and as Jesus said, his kingdom was not, a, was not one of this world, but it was a heavenly kingdom. A Roman centurion, like this officer, was in charge of about a hundred soldiers, called the Century, and he had superior officers who were in charge of the massive Roman legions, and he, the centurions also had soldiers of their own that were part of their company and under their leadership. So Jesus is approached by this officer who, who says, Lord, my servant lies at home paralyzed, suffering terribly. The first word from this foreigner's mouth recognize who Jesus is, Lord. He also shows concern for one of his servants who's suffering, and he comes to Jesus himself. He doesn't send a servant, he shows respect by coming to Jesus and addressing him as Lord. And then Jesus asks the centurion a question. Shall I come and heal him? Many times in the Gospels, Jesus will heal people by going to their house, to going to the house of the sick person. He could have said, okay, I'll come and heal your servant. But Jesus had something else in mind. He very intentionally asked the centurion, should I come? And the obvious answer might be, of course, please come, or sure, I'll take you up on your offer. But the centurion answers Jesus based on what he knows about Jesus. He says, Lord, there's that word again, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. Everything that the centurion says shows that when he calls Jesus Lord, it's not just a title or an attempt to get Jesus to do something from him. The centurion shows that he really accepts and believes in Jesus' authority as Lord. The centurion recognizes Jesus' authority over his servant's condition, not just his power to heal. And these are two different things. Many have the power to heal, such as prophets in the past or doctors, but the centurion knows that Jesus has authority over sickness and over paralysis, authority over nature, enough to speak a word and have his will accomplished. So the centurion explains, just say the word and my servant will be healed. 
For I myself am a, am a man under authority, with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes, and to that one, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. The centurion expects that Jesus can banish the servant's illness and heal his paralysis in the same way that he gives orders to his own soldiers. In other words, the centurion knows that Jesus has absolute authority over nature just as God spoke the world into existence. Perhaps he might even understand in some ways that Jesus is actually God. The disciples later on in this chapter would see this kind of power. There was a storm on the Sea of Galilee and terrified of this storm, they wake up Jesus from his nap in the boat and say, Lord, save us! Then Jesus, as we know, spoke to the storm and commanded it to be still. And then the disciples were silenced as the sea. They were stunned into silence. Who knows what the disciples were actually expecting when they asked Jesus to save them, but they definitely weren't expecting Jesus just to speak and the storms to cease. Jesus' authority to command nature through a word was shocking to his closest friends. But this centurion, this foreigner, expected Jesus' control over nature and to heal his servant's paralysis. He had full faith in Jesus' divine authority. Jesus is amazed at the centurion's faith, and he says to the people around him, Truly I tell you, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. For us, how often do we pray for help with a mindset of God's complete authority over whatever situation we might be facing? Often I think I'm more like the disciples in the storm. I panic in tricky situations and I find myself saying, Help! Don't you care? But then I'm pleasantly surprised when God answers my prayer according to what I asked. Often, we can believe in Jesus' authority only after we see it in action. At the same time, how often do we come before the Lord in prayer, addressing Him as Lord in our hearts? We often may say the word or think the word Lord, uh, but do we consider Him worthy of the respect that the centurion displayed? For believers, Jesus is our King, and while He's our intimate friend, he also deserves our absolute worship. Let's remember to come before the King in our hearts uh, with respect for his position and respect for his authority, confidence and authority to accomplish whatever he wills. The Psalms say, Our God is in heaven. He does whatever pleases him. Towards the end of the story, Jesus teaches his followers, saying, I say to you that many will come from the east and the west and take their places at the feast with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the subjects of the kingdom will be thrown outside into darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is a warning to the Jews and it's also a warning to us as well. Just because we are among or around God's people or just because we're going to church regularly it doesn't make us deserving of heaven. What we need is real faith in Jesus, the King who has authority over creation, that he can heal us from our sin. The centurion believed that Jesus did not need to be physically present to heal our servant. 
And for us, only by faith in Jesus, that his death on the cross satisfies the penalty for our past, present, and future sin, can we be healed and restored to a relationship with God. For us to be healed by him, we must have this faith that Jesus really did this for us. And then at the end of the scene, Jesus says to the centurion, Go, let it be done just as you believed it would. And his servant was healed in that moment. So after this encounter, Jesus then goes to Peter's house. And he finds that Peter's mother-in-law is sick with a fever. And she's resting in bed. Jesus touches her and at once the fever disappears. And Peter's mother-in-law then starts offering Jesus some refreshments. Later that night, lots of people who probably heard about Jesus' healing, they start to show up at Peter's door, all with friends or relatives who are sick in various ways or who are demon-possessed. They're coming to ask Jesus to heal them. Jesus seems to heal people wherever he goes. He can't get away from healing people. They come to, to have him heal them. And where the presence of Jesus is, it seems that the powers of demonic forces and physical ailments seem to be absolutely banished. In a way, Jesus is, is undoing the effects of the fall and showing that he is, he is now renewing everything. Through Jesus, all things were made. He's the king of creation. When Adam and Eve sinned, sickness and death entered the world. These things were not really part of God's good creation that he's intended, but sickness and death are effects of sin. And at Peter's house, Jesus is undoing the effects of sin, demonstrating that he's a healer, the healer of creation, just as he's the king of creation. Jesus is the king who heals. Matthew then refers to Isaiah in this passage. And as we understand this passage that he's pointing to is Isaiah 53, verse 4, which says, Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Matthew uses this passage to show what Jesus was doing in healing the people that came to him at, Jesus, at Peter's house. But the passage is also pointing to something deeper than physical healing. It's also referring to spiritual healing from sin as well. So the next verses in Isaiah are as follows. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was struck for our, or he was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him and by his wounds we are healed. It wasn't just that Jesus was acting like a doctor, setting up a temporary clinic at Peter's house, seeing patients, healing them, and sending them on their way. He was more like a Florence Nightingale, who gave up her life with wealth and status to save people at the risk of her own death. But even more so, in fact, Jesus knew that healing us in a spiritual sense would require his death. Spiritually speaking, Jesus' healing nature in this passage is showing that he takes on the pain and suffering of the people that he's healing, experiencing it for himself, and as a result being shunned because of it. Jesus came to earth to be with us 
as we were suffering. He came and he healed people physically here. Jesus' physical works of healing on earth shows his real compassion towards us and his command over nature as well. They serve, in addition, as an analogy for the healing that Jesus would bring through his saving work on the cross. For some of us, we might struggle to believe that Jesus really has the authority to help us and can really save us. But for others, what we might find hard to grasp is that God has the type of deep compassion on us that Christ has. In this passage, Jesus is showing that while Jesus is a king with ultimate authority, he's also good and he's also kind and desires to come and be with us and heal us. Jesus is a king with authority over nature, as a centurion believed, um, but he's also a king that comes and heals us in a very personal way. Not only does he have the power to speak a word from far off and heal us, but he comes and he takes up and bears our suffering that we might be healed. Jesus, being God, came to earth as a man with compassion to heal us from sin. And so we can trust Jesus to heal us, not because he has just the authority to do so, but also because he really understands the suffering that we're going through in every sense, physical and emotional and spiritual. He's taken them on and he's experienced them for himself. He's the king, but he's the ultimate friend as well, bringing us peace and healing. So in the third scene of this narrative, Matthew continues by talking about some people who wanted to come and and follow Jesus. So, they're making preparations to go across the Sea of Galilee in a boat, uh, and Jesus is surrounded by crowds, and a, a teacher of the law comes up to Jesus. And apparently, Jesus has made quite an impression on this, this man through his teaching and healing. And this teacher says to Jesus, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. The teacher doesn't want Jesus to leave just yet, and he probably hopes that Jesus will give him an invitation to go with him in the boat. Maybe he'll be able to impress people by getting close to to Jesus. We don't know exactly what's in this teacher of the law's heart, but it's clear by Jesus' response that the teacher doesn't fully know what it means to follow Jesus. Jesus says to this this teacher, Foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Meaning that following Jesus is not an easy path. It's not a path where there's a home for us here on earth. It's not a place that's really safe. Following Jesus is not a way to increase your status. In fact, animals probably have a more comfortable life with their holes and with their nests. What we're seeing here that Jesus is doing, it's a common teaching point that Jesus uses. Where someone's referring to a physical situation like following Jesus in a boat, but Jesus is referring to something spiritual and much deeper. Following Jesus as a disciple. The teacher of the law is willing to cross the lake to be with Jesus, but perhaps not to follow Jesus as Lord. He doesn't call Jesus Lord, he calls him teacher. And he's not willing to follow Jesus' ways and to learn from him. At first, it might seem that 
Jesus' response to the teacher might be a little bit harsh and might be kind of deterring the teacher from following him and that Jesus doesn't want any more followers. But we know that's not true, especially because of what happens next. Another man comes up to Jesus who's described as a disciple or a student. He's probably not one of the twelve, but he asks Jesus if he can bury his dead before following him. It may not be that this man just literally had somebody die in his family, but perhaps he had elderly parents and he wanted to wait to follow Jesus until they had passed away. Who, who could refuse such a reasonable request? First, honor your parents, make sure they're taken care of, and then follow a great teacher. Shouldn't that be okay? In his heart, though, the man is not giving Jesus the same respect that the centurion gave him. This man is saying that he wants to follow Jesus, but just not now. He's asking Jesus to wait until he's ready, until everything has been taken care of, until the time feels right. Then he'll follow Jesus. Jesus' response to this man also sounds a little bit harsh at first. Let the dead bury their dead. It's a little shocking, almost as if Jesus is expecting the man to miss his father's funeral. But essentially, Jesus is using the same method of answering a physical world question with a spiritual answer. The man here, the disciples, focused on this life, on making sure everything is ready, financially secure, prepared for, planned out, kind of like us sometimes. But this life is passing away. And without the spiritual salvation offered by Christ, we are all spiritually dead. Jesus is really saying to this man, come with me and live. Let the dead bury their dead. Do not focus so much on what you need to do in this world. It is prudent to be financially prepared for the future, and it's right to care for one's parents and other family members. But putting aside Christ to do these things is somewhat like a sea captain calling his mother for her birthday while he's in the middle of a typhoon. Calling your mother is important, but there's some matters in life and death that we need to prioritize, and Jesus is teaching this man that Jesus himself and following him is the priority. Jesus wants us to understand that our real need is to follow Christ, and we need to do this now. Our default condition is dead. Let the dead bury the dead. Those who decide not to follow Christ are currently dead in a spiritual sense, missing the salvation and eternal life offered by Jesus at the cross. All good things are second place to follow him. So Jesus calls us to follow him, warning us that eternal death awaits us if we try to live our lives our own way without him. But Jesus also warns us that we should not expect comfort and ease when we decide to follow him. Jesus is not deterring us from following him, but rather he's showing us that with a focus on this life, whether it be on comfort like the teacher or making oneself ready like the other man, misses the point of what it means to follow Jesus. Jesus' healing shows our, his compassion for us, including our physical lives right now, but he really does, keep, he really does care for us and uh, deeply right where we are. But we also need to understand that Jesus' greatest compassion for us is spiritual. Our real need is to follow Jesus and receive the salvation and healing that he offers through paying 
for our sin on the cross. So as we think about this passage together and looking back over it, we see the good example of the centurion who understands that Jesus is king and trusts without a shadow of a doubt that Jesus has absolute authority to heal. We see that Jesus' healing is an example of the suffering that he took on himself for us at the cross and that by his wounds we are healed. We also see Jesus' challenge to those who would try to follow Jesus for the wrong reasons or delay following him for worldly priorities. As we think about our responses to these stories, let's remember who we're speaking to when we pray, first of all. We're speaking to our Heavenly Father who loves us deeply, but He's also the one who spoke creation into existence with our words. We speak to God through Christ, for whom all of creation and all authority was made. We come before the King, the real King, to whom the most majestic human kings of the past, present, and future are but a reflection and point to who Jesus is and His majesty. Jesus is King over all creation and He deserves our absolute respect and worship. And He has absolute power to answer our requests according to His will. Let's approach Him as King with faith that He can do whatever He wills according, as, as we ask according to that. Secondly, today, let's remember that Jesus took up our pain and bore our sufferings. By his wounds we are healed. When we pray, we we come before the king, but we also come before a man who knelt down and washed the grime and dust off of his disciples' feet. He is in the trenches with us. He came to this world as a man, experiencing the suffering that we do. He knows the physical and emotional pain that we go through in a very personal way. And even more importantly, he knows our suffering from sin. He understands because he took that sin on himself, paying for it through his death on the cross so that we could be healed. Finally, let's remember that following Jesus is more important than anything in this world. We may think that we can follow Christ while also trying to live as comfortably as we can, or by thinking that we can work on our own priorities and then follow Christ later. But these are just not possible. We must prioritize following Jesus as the purpose of our lives. That is what we truly need. As we recognize Jesus' kingship and the fact that he's worthy of our full devotion, as we see the intimacy and kindness of Jesus' suffering to heal us from sin, let's put aside our lives and follow him with all that we are. He both deserves it and he loves us so, so much. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you that in Jesus we have a King who heals. We pray that we would recognize his authority over all things, the power to speak creation into existence, and that we will trust his power to save us. We thank you for Jesus' kingship. We pray that we would experience the intimacy of Christ taking up our suffering, not just caring for our suffering, but experiencing it alongside us, and especially for his taking up of our sin on the cross. We thank you for Jesus' friendship. We pray that we would be those who would follow Jesus, conscious of the challenges of doing so without any distraction or delay from things of this physical life. Help us to cling to Jesus as our King and Healer and to follow him. In Jesus' name.